0: You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church.
1: Second um, Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David.
0: Good morning, everybody. We are in this series talking about covenant, and God's made covenants with his people um, throughout scripture, and today there are covenants that he has made for uh, with us, and what does that mean for us today? So, we read this passage um let me show you a story real quick kenny do we have that picture all right when i was about 10 or 11 i think um i wanted to make my mom a gift for christmas right i wanted to do something and my dad was pretty hand, handy when it came to uh woodwork and he he'd remo- refur- refurbish i think is the word a lot of furniture things like that and i said dad can i make mom a birdhouse and he's like yes you can so we go down to his little workshop and we secretly for like probably i don't know a couple of weeks we're working on this wood on this birdhouse right and basically my dad cut the wood he measured the wood i stood there and handed him things um, my dad put the thing together and then i painted it i painted that thing like a boss like look at that that is beautiful it's got little curtains a little flower box a little fence and you can't really see it, um, I think I have my pointer, yeah, right, right there is a glue spot. This is, this is today, my sister took me a picture, she went over to my mom's house, took a picture and sent it to me this morning, because I knew they still had it somewhere. Um, and that right there had a sign, a little sign that I made that said the Millers on it, right? And that sign fell off, um, sometime. So I was all excited about this birdhouse, and last Christmas I saw it there, I'm, it's like it's still in the house, I'm like, wow. He's like, yeah. Dad's like, yeah, that's the birdhouse you made. And I was thinking about that this morning. I'm like, did I really make it? Dad did all the work. Like, I didn't know how to, like, I can't, I could not do that probably today if I wanted to. I could not make that thing. I could paint it, probably a little bit better. I'm a pretty good painter. But I could not make that birdhouse at all. And so really, it's funny because my dad bought the wood. He measured the wood. He put the wood together. And I got all the credit. Merry Christmas, Mom. Here's something that I kind of just painted on. And why I'm bringing that up is because when we look at 2 Samuel here, what we didn't read yet, I want to kind of go back and show you what happened. So here's this covenant that God makes with David, right? That he says, I'm going to give you an eternal throne that your son will rule and reign and the throne, your line will never end. Your your lineage will never end. I'm going to establish you forever. Let me tell you what happened right before that. We see the Ark of the Covenant in the chapter, this is one of my favorite chapters, in the Bible, in chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was with them, with, with mankind. He was in this Ark. God, it was a holy moment. And they had lost the Ark of the Covenant through a long story. And they get the Ark of the Covenant back, and David worships the Lord. He is ecstatic. His wife makes fun of him. And then there's a whole bunch of things going on there that I'll talk about some other time. So David's worshiping the Lord because the presence of God is back. And in the beginning of chapter 7, we see that there's peace. All the enemies that David's been fighting for a long time, they're not fighting right now. And David thinks to himself, wow, I have a really, really big house, and God just has a tent and an ark. I should build God a big house because God needs a big house. I should do him a favor, right? David thinks that he's going to do God a favor, and God responds through, tells. Well, for, it's kind of funny because... David says this to Nathan, his prophet, right? Nathan, I think I'm going to build a house. I I feel like I should do something. I have this big house and God has nothing. And that's basically what David was thinking. God has nothing. And the prophet says, sounds good. God's with you. Do whatever's in your heart. Like that same night, God's like, Nathan, no. (laughs) No, you you didn't quite hear me on that one yet. Let me tell you what to do. Who in the world does David think he is that he's going to build a house for me? I didn't ask him to build a house. Does he, does he not know that everything's mine? Like That's essentially what like, I was doing with that gift. I was giving back to my parents who purchased the material, something that I thought that I had done, and I really didn't do anything. David is handing to God saying, God, I'm going to build you an awesome house. It's not fair for you to live in a tent. God says, everything's mine. So let me change your way of thinking by saying, instead of you doing me a favor, I'm doing you a favor. I'm establishing you forever. That you'll never walk in insecurity or fear. Your son will rule and reign after you, and your line, your lineage, will always exist throughout all of eternity. How about that for doing favors, right? Like it's ultimately, God saying, "You can't buy me anything, David. You can't do anything." But I appreciate the thought. So here's here's my covenant. Here's my blessing with you. And immediately after that, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. Immediately after that, the next chapter is David saying, "Who am I?" Who am I? Thank you, God. Why are you even giving me anything? Like, it's automatic, humble, and worship. David responds in worship. See, David had this desire to help God. And God reminds him that he doesn't really need David's help. Everything's his. The earth is his. He created it all. And David's thinking, oh, it's not fair that God lives in a tent. Let me say this. David thinks that he's given God a permanent dwelling place. When really it's God who's giving David something permanent in this covenant. I think so often in our lives, when we do charity, we do good works, we serve the church, we're kind to our neighbors. We begin to kind of get this feeling in our heart. Everything's right. Everything's good. Everything's okay with me. So maybe I'll do God a favor. Maybe I'll bless him by helping my neighbor maybe i'll bless him by starting a church or singing on the worship team or or tithing this week maybe i'll give god something good because he deserves a break and really god's saying when you're able to do that i'm really blessing you when i do works for god it's not him who's needy it's me who needs those things it's me who needs the experience of sharing what god's put in me right does that make sense We're not doing him favors. He's delighted in it. He loves it when we serve him. But ultimately, even when we serve him, it's really for ourselves. Even when we bless him, we are being blessed because we get to live in the things, everything that's his. So often we get stuck in the stuff that we do for God and we really can't do him favors. We should continue to serve him. But we got to realize that he's so good that even when we serve him, we're serving ourselves. He's that good. And God points that out to David in his moment of worship and arrogance at the same time. David's like, I love you, Jesus. I'm gonna, I love you, God. I'm going to give you a house. And God's like, no, you're not. Your son will build me a house later, but you're not going to build me a house. David is reminded of his need for God's grace. Let me read you that verse. Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel uh, 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O God? And what is my house? That you have brought me thus far. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, oh God. He says that the the thing that you just gave me is small compared to what you're capable of. Who am I to say I'm doing something for you? When we serve God, I hope that we can serve him with this uh, recognition that, that everything's his anyways. That we get to be a part of this. That when God blesses us, it's small compared to everything that he has. It's out of his goodness and his love that we get to be a part of his kingdom, that we get to serve him and see his glory spread. So here in this chapter in 2 Samuel, we see David is given this promised line, this covenant line. You don't see the word covenant in exactly this this passage, but when they're referring to it in the Psalms in chapter 89, you see it over again that that there's a covenant that was given here by God, that God said this is the promise and I won't ever change it. It's an unconditional covenant is what we talked about. Sometimes we make promises and they're very conditional and we break promises. I would say probably a great example of a covenant that's often broken because we're people is marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's supposed to never be separated. Never. But we're, we're people and we break our own covenants. And God says, I'm giving you an unconditional covenant and I never break it. I never go against this. So, David, I'm promising you, I'm giving you a covenant, your line will exist forever. So, there's this hope that happens then. If, if I told you, if I, if I pulled you aside and somehow I was, if it's just, let's just say I was really rich and I told you that, hey, your bills for the rest of your life will never have to be, you won't have to pay them, I'll pay for them. How many of you guys would be pretty excited today, right? Amen. You would be stoked. <laughs> yes. Jesse just promised that. Well, if Jesse just promised that, you're going to be paying the bills for the rest of your life. I'm sorry, because I don't have the money to do that. But if God, who owns everything, makes a promise, it's for sure. And God gives them hope now. King David doesn't have to live in fear or anxiety anymore about what's going to happen with his family or what's going to happen with his kingdom. God says, I'm letting your kingdom be eternal. I'm giving you something you can trust so you don't have to live in fear anymore. That's the promise that he gives them there. But he also gives them something for the future. Not just your son, but there's a promise in here for an eternal reign. This Messiah, this Messiah figure that will always reign, always rule. So the first one of the future is for Solomon, his son. David at this time didn't have Solomon yet. He didn't know it was going to be Solomon. He just knew that his son would build a temple for God and that he would have a peaceful reign. God would, co- would correct him for iniquities, but God would not destroy him. God would let him rule and reign. And we, we talked about Solomon a few, a few, about a month or two ago. He promises this, this something eternal in the midst of a world of temporary. Something that goes beyond this moment. So often we are people who cannot see beyond what we experience today, right? When I was in 10th grade, going into 10th grade, I, our class, and this is a small private school, there's 13 kids in my graduating class, I know, it was a lot, right, a lot of names in my yearbook, 13, I'm just kidding, so I so we went to the small private school, and um, we got to get our class rings, how many of you guys bought class rings, right, just a few people, how do you guys still wear those class rings, because I don't want to pick on you in a minute, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, so, I remember getting my parents spent like 200 bucks, right? Which was a lot for them because I told you before, my parents' were, money was tight in our house, very tight. And my parents were like, they wanted to do this for me because I really wanted it and my friends had it. So, they bought this class ring for me. And so, I get my class ring and it's gold, which I don't like anymore. Gold, I just ne- you'll never see me wearing gold. It's just not my color. I'm not Donald Trump, it's not my thing. Uh, but so, I have my class ring. And I'm so excited about that. And a friend comes over, and there's this big spider in my, me- er, in my window, on my screen, in my house, right? And I was a bit of a pyro as a kid. I liked fire. I didn't light anybody's stuff on, on fire. I was safe, okay? But I liked fire. Um, and so I took this can of Axe body spray, right? You know I was cool. And I took this can of Axe body spray, took a lighter, and my friends beside me, and I torch this spider in the window. I just torch it, right? Burn it up. It was great. It was an awesome moment for a boy, right? 10th Ten, grade, so whatever age that is, I don't know. A little immature maybe. But anyway, let's get past that. All Come right. on, people. Give me the benefit of the doubt here. So my mom finds out that I showed this kid, who was a few years younger than me, how to basically turn a can of cologne, cologne, I guess, into a torch and kill, kill insects with it. And my mom was so mad. She decided to ground me from my class ring. Right? <laughs> she took it from me, took my class ring from me, and I was crushed. Like I literally, I remember I had to go and apologize to this kid's mom that I showed him this. Um, not like he would not have figured it out one day anyway. It was science class in school, people. Um, so I had to go and apologize, and that was embarrassing. And then I lost my class ring for like a couple months and I couldn't wear it to school when all my friends had their class ring and I re- literally remember my friends in this room with me in, in my bedroom and I said I said something along the lines of there's no point anymore life's over I literally said life is over it's done, Like I got nothing to live for I think that's the word, I have nothing to live for right 10th grade and I got nothing to live for because my class ring has been grounded from me <laughs> because I torched a bug this is a true story right Like, I am done. We, so often, like, I'm stuck in that moment, right? That one moment in 10th grade, and I don't have a class ring. I got my class ring back about six months later. This is my theory. It's not 100% proven, but I know it's fact. Um, My sister knocked it off the sink in the bathroom into the toilet. I know that's what happened because it disappeared, and I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I know it, so I'm blaming her. We'll just all blame her, okay? So I lost my class ring, right? I still don't have a class ring. It's gone, completely gone. It was so temporary, so that moment, and I thought my world was done. I was embarrassed. I didn't have a ring. I had nothing. We get like that. I know that's a silly example, but how often in your life have you felt like that, where you had a day and you thought, my life is over, nothing matters anymore, who am I, God? Where are you <laughs> like, we 've done that we 're so focused on today that we can never see the eternal, and God is a God who is not really he loves today, but he 's got an eternity in his heart, and he is putting eternity in our hearts. If we can see the eternal, we can live with hope and so David, in this moment, no longer has a mo- a, a thought for today. he sees the eternal, he sees the, mes- the messianic promise. For all of eternity that, God, you are establishing your role and reign. You're always good, and you will always reign. That make sense? Sometimes we get so caught up in this moment that we, that we can't even... We, let me tell you this. We can't control today. How you, so often we, we try to control things, right? Whether it's our kids' behavior or our job security. I can't control this collar today. It's been popping out since I woke up this morning. It keeps, I thought I was a 70s actor this morning. I cannot control my own collar How am I going to control my destiny, my eternity? How am I going to control my kids? How can I control my wife and make her be a good wife and always love me? I can't control anything. I can't control myself. But yet we get so caught up in this fear and we try to control things. And God has promised us this eternal reign and He's letting us say, You don't have to control things. I'm always good and I'm always in charge, I will always sit on the throne that's a good promise that's something i have no part in david realized in that moment i have nothing here i am the king thinking that i'm really the king and you're the king of everything that's why we see that jesus is the lord of lords the king of kings that every knee has to bow to him he's the only one who really controls everything and he's good when he controls things it's in love that he controls things i don't have to fear i don't have to worry I love that a few weeks ago, Kevin preached Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, do not be anxious for anything, whatever you eat or whatever you drink, nor about your body or what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. He says, what are you doing worrying about things? When God provides for these, you think a good God's not gonna provide for you? You think a good God isn't gonna be good to you? God has eternity in mind always he knows what happens at the end and he always will reign no matter what happens today we have to be people who learn to trust in the eternal reign of god and not local politics or today's wars or persecutions psalms 20 the psalmist says some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the lord chariots and horses were the best of the best of modern warfare And the psalmist says, I don't trust in the best war technology to keep me safe. I trust in God to keep me safe. Are we people that realizes the promises of God? Or do we look at the politics today? can Can I just be really honest? I do not like what's happening politically today. But my trust isn't in that. If I put my hope in a presidential nominee, then I'm a fool. And you're a fool if you do as well. It's funny, you can go online and you can find... For the last like, 15, 20 years, every election, there's been somebody who says, this is the most important election in all of history. This is, is going to be the most important. When we, go, when we look at it 50 years from now, this is going to be the most. They've said that at every election. Every election, somebody or most of us are disappointed. We don't trust in a guy who sits in the White House. We have to trust in the king who sits on the throne. So... Point number two, God, God's promised this line, right, through, through Solomon, his son, and through a Davidic, Davidic line, through his offspring, that the, that the offspring of David will always sit on this throne. And then we also see there's a future Messiah. Let's look at Luke chapter 1 real quick. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin was named Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for I have found fa- you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. The angel says, says to Mary that your son is of the line of David, your family is from the line of David, and his throne will be the one that never stops. We see when, when God made the covenant with David, he said, yeah, your family, your line will never stop sitting on the throne. First with your physical son, but then there's a messianic son. Then there's the offspring, and that'll be an eternal reign. Christ will always sit on the throne. Doesn't matter what your day looks like, what your week looks like, Christ always sits on the throne. He was promised, he came, and he will fulfill the rest of the promise. He's, he will always sit there. We have to realize that as we go up into Easter, all these covenants that God made, ultimately, they're all fulfilled in Christ. We talked a few weeks ago about the promise to Noah and that the wrath of God isn't pointed toward humanity anymore, that he won't destroy us the same way, that now the wrath of God is absorbed in Christ. We saw last week, we saw with Abraham that God has promised this this family, this eternal family to Abraham, and it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ through the church. That God has given us an eternal family. We are a nation. We are a people. We are set apart for him. And there's not going to be an end to our family. And here in David, we see that there's a line, there's a ruler, there's a reign, there's a king that we can trust beyond today. Does anybody know what next week is? Just curious. What's next Sunday? Anybody know? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit next week. But Palm Sunday, <clears throat> we see Jesus comes riding into the city uh, to Jerusalem on a donkey, right? And we, when we think of Palm Sunday, we think of the branches, right, and the, the Hosanna. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, that was the day of that week. It was Passover week, right? So it's crowded in Jerusalem. It's the holy city. Passover is coming up. And that day is the day that they pick the lamb of sacrifice. Every family would go and pick a sacrificial lamb. And Jesus comes in as the lamb that was slain. He comes into the city on that day. And they look at him and they begin to cry out, Hosanna, son of David, save us. Hosanna doesn't mean hallelujah. Hosanna means save us. Deliver us from our current position. They're thinking we are under Rome. We don't like this government. You're the son of David. You're the promised one. You're the Messiah. Please come and deliver us from Rome. They were, they were waving palm branches because the last time that Israel was free under the Maccabeans, the coins that they would have as a symbol of their, of their government had palm branches on it. So they're looking at Jesus saying, you're the promised one, you're going to defeat Rome. Deliver us, we don't like being under Rome. And so they get real loud, they, it's basically kind of like a riot, almost. We like to think of it as like a bunch of nice worshipers and they're just waving Jesus like is like an Egyptian king, right? I was like, cool down, Jesus, on your donkey. Hosanna. This is a political statement. This is a group of people. This is a city that's tired of the political situation and they are looking at him with a political, as a political prospect. Please be our next president. Please be our next king. Figure this out for us. And the whole time, Jesus is like, you don't even understand my kingdom. You don't know what you're asking of me. You don't, you don't even know who I am. And that same crowd that cries out, Hosanna, deliver us, cries out, crucify him a week later. When we set our eyes on the current moment and the political situation and who we can see in the physical, in the White House, or in the, in, in the government of Scranton, when we put all of our hopes and all of our dreams on our taxes and, and on our, our political rulers, we are always disappointed. Always And Jesus says, my my kingdom is something very different than what you're thinking. My kingdom is eternal, and it's hope, it's joy, and when I sit on the throne, it'll be complete peace. There won't be any wars. There won't be taxes. It'll be my complete rule and reign and freedom. But you don't even know what you're asking right now. Palm Sunday, they were looking for a political freedom, and that's not what Christ came to do." We see that Jesus tells his uh, disciples in Mark eight, "Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod." That means don't let this law like I'm saved, I'm good, I'm right because of all the hard, th- all the good things that I do, all the laws that I keep, how holy and righteous I am. How many times I go to mass? How many days of week? I, how many days of the week I go and pray? Don't worry about that. And don't worry about Herod and the political thing. Don't worry about how you can get connected in society. Because both of those things disappoint. Both my attempts to be super righteous and super like pious never gives life. And my attempts to be connected with all the right people and have the right person in the office and vote the right way because God said we're Republicans and that's how we're going to be. Like that's not, when we've hope on one of those two things, we're disappointed. But we hope on the promises of God and grace, the covenant of grace, which we'll talk about next week, we are always satisfied. We are always at peace. Beware, beware of that leaven. When I was, my first political memory, right? And I watched Inside Out last night. So I gotta go to that little vault, pull out that little cube. Inside Out, political memory. First one I have, it's an ugly one, right? All political memories are ugly. I remember... In 90, 92, 92, I remember my friend Teddy, and this, I, don't even, I was born in 84, so I'm what, 8 at this time? I remember my friend Teddy crying because Bush and Quayle lost to Clinton and Gore. He was crying about that, right? That's really sad. If you wake up after this election and you're in tears and devastated, your hope is in the wrong thing. Your hope is in the wrong thing. Maybe that offended you. Sorry if you're like a political candidate or something. <laughs> I don't know. What, is, what, what does it look like when you trust in God and not in this kingdom, not in the kingdom that you're currently experiencing? What does it look like when you trust in God and not your career or your job or your position or your, your title? Um, I want to read a brief, I've read out of this before. This is one of my favorite books ever please read it at some point it's called the tale of three kings he's talking about david it's the heart of david and um i just want to read david was a man who was anointed to be king in case you don't know um during saul saul was king god had saul on the throne and became wicked and corrupt and god anointed david to be the next king and so there's this long period of time where david's anointed but he's not king yet and he has an opportunity saul is trying to kill david right Saul tries to kill David multiple times. He's hunting him down, and David's in a cave with his little group of men. And Saul is in there, and he has an opportunity to kill David, and he doesn't. And he says, "I won't touch the Lord's anointed." And he grieves the fact that he cut off like a little piece of his cloak, like his clothing. He was mad about that. He's like, "Why did I even do that?" He grieved. He was broken. So that's the heart of David. And then we see later, when David's on the throne, his one son Absalom begins to revolt. And they come in and they try to take the city. And David takes his men and leaves the city. And then there's, there's supposed to be a war. And when they go to have war, David says to his men, do not kill my son. Don't kill him. Because if God wants him to be son, king, I won't, t- I won't kill the Lord's anointed. David doesn't know if who's, he, who's supposed to be king. He's like, if God wants me to be king, I'll be king. Let me read this. He says, I shall not learn the ways of Saul and Absalom. Shall I throw spears and plot and divide and kill men's spirit, if not their bodies, to protect my empire? I did not lift a finger to be made king, nor shall I do so to preserve a kingdom. Even the kingdom of God, God put me here. It is not my responsibility to take or keep authority. You do not realize it may be his will for these things to take place. If he chooses, God can protect and keep the kingdom even now. After all, it is his kingdom. He says, perhaps in God's eyes, I'm no longer worthy to rule. Perhaps he is through with me. Perhaps it is his will for Absalom to rule. He says, I will seek his will, not his power. I repeat, I desire his will more than I desire a position of leadership. Can we become people where we so much trust in the goodness of God that we are not ready to destroy people? That we're not trying to put ourselves in a position because we could do it better and we anoint ourselves as God's anointed one. David says in that moment when he chooses not to kill his own son, he's like, maybe I'm not the anointed one anymore. Maybe God's done with me. Maybe God wants to give it to somebody else. And if that's true, I'd rather have that than me fight for this. I won't be like Saul. I won't be like him. I want to be a person who so trusts the kingdom and the, rule, the eternal rule of, of Christ that I don't fight for things out of flesh and out of fear and anxiety. I don't try to control or manipulate people. That's my heart. I, 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 I fall on that all the time. As a parent, sometimes fear reigns, right? Sometimes I want to control things. But his peace says, why, why are you trying to do that? Why, let, just trust me. We should simply demonstrate his kingdom and let God establish his people Last last verse I want to look at here real quick. Psalms chapter 89. I referenced it before. This is in the midst of persecution. This is when they're under attack. And they write this. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known the faithfulness to all generations. Uh, for I have said, for I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. And in heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant. With my chosen one, I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever, and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. In the midst of persecution and in the midst of war, David says, The psalmist says, I worship you. You made a covenant, and we worship you. We're good with that. When you have a bad week, when you have a bad moment, when you're fired from your job, when somebody dies, when whatever it is, when you lose your golden class ring, whatever it is, are you able to say, God, I worship you in this moment? I trust you. I trust you. Worship is the language of covenant. Worship's what we speak when we recognize how good he is and the promises he's made for us. I love that we see in the own life, in David's own life, he worships before covenant, he worships during covenant, he worships during the trial, he worships during the pain, he worships when it seems like God's forgotten, and he worships after the victory. Worship is always the language of covenant. We are a church that focuses heavily on worship, and we always will. It's who we are. To me, it's the language of heaven. Like we just speak it. We want to speak it. I want to learn it more. I want to learn how to worship in every situation. I want to trust his kingdom. This morning, we're going to worship here in a few moments. And I I just want to encourage you to let your heart rest in him. Trust him. I feel like so often we get caught up in this moment where we're trying to, like, do the rat race and make everything work. And sometimes God's saying, rest. Trust me. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Don't you know I sit on the throne forever? That's that's good. I love in church history, and, and if you look... If you look back, so many people have tried to destroy Bibles, tried to take God out of countries, out of nations. It's still happening today. There are countless countries that don't allow Christianity. But any time that's ever happened, the gospel just spread more. Every time we've been persecuted, the church grew. God is so good, even in the midst of like, death and destruction, he's still producing life and resurrection. He's still giving hope to the broken. He says his word will always last. You can't destroy it. You just can't. Nobody ever will. And I'm, I'm convinced. It doesn't matter who takes office. It doesn't matter what the political situation looks like in the next 50 years. God's always God. Revelations 11, 15 says this. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord And of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. I love that. That's the promise at the end of the book. That the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of his world. And he reigns forever and ever. God has promised us shalom for eternity in Christ. He's promised us perfect peace in Christ. We get to experience that here now when we live in the kingdom. We don't have to be people waiting for that future day. We can live in the kingdom now. We're called, it says that we are ambassadors for him. So today, as a believer, I get to represent and live under the influence of the kingdom of heaven, the peace and shalom of Christ in this world. If we can stand, let's just worship for a few moments. The power of the gospel will always win and it will always rescue lives. The Bible will never be destroyed. Every promise has or will come true. His kingdom will never end. His peace will reign. And God is inviting you today. God is asking you. He's he's offering to you a chance, a time to trust in his eternal kingdom. It's simply saying, Christ, I put my faith in you. I give my heart to you. Become Lord. When we sing these songs, it's really because we get to the worship because we do have a hope that goes beyond anything. We have a trust that we we can always trust him. I love it. It's good news. As we worship, I simply ask you, are you going to worship him as eternal Lord or look to the temporary? Are you going to look at him as eternal? Or are you going to look to the temporary? Let's worship him for a few moments.